Hi, I'm Guy Powell, and welcome to the next episode of The Backstory on Marketing. If you haven't already done so, please visit ProRelevant.com and sign up for all of these episodes and podcasts. I am the author of the newly released book, The Post-COVID Marketing Machine, Prepare Your Team to Win. And you can find more information about the book at marketingmachine.prorelevant.com. Today, we'll be speaking with Kevin Hannigan. Kevin is a senior leader who likes to use data and analytics to transform, innovate, and continuously improve organizations to make them the best they can be. His passion is in the intersection of business, technology, learning, and psychology. He believes the world is constantly evolving and we should always be evolving and improving ourselves in business and in our personal lives. He is a frequent speaker and writer on topics of data-informed decision-making, the future of learning and growth and the growth mindset. And lastly, he is the author of the book, Turning Data into, Wis into Wisdom. Kevin, welcome. Thank you for being here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Wow. Thanks for the introduction. I hope I live up to all that. That sounded good. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you will. So, uh, well, so tell us uh, your backstory. How did you get into analytics and, and learning? Yeah, I, everyone probably says they have unusual stories. I, I do think mine's a little bit unusual. So I'm technical by nature. Undergrad, I was math and computer science and started getting my jobs out of, out of university doing software programming. Um, actually, one of the programming languages I used was Ada, which was, I think, dead before I even learned it, more or less, except for a couple industries that still used it. Um, but I, I realized that I, I started taking some night classes, and I realized that it, it's hard to keep up with the pace of change. And this is still 20 years ago. Now the pace of change is like daily as opposed to annually. And, and I was struggling with learning the new concepts. In my mind, I thought it's because there's going to be a better way to, to teach them. So I went back and got more um, education on adult learning, how adults can learn, which is a little bit different than how kids learn for different reasons. And it kind of just was this passion of technologies evolving. I still love being technical. But I love helping people understand how to how to evolve and, and leverage the skills that help them stay current and, and continue being relevant in today's time. And that's kind of led me to write the book and led me to, to where I am and talk about data literacy and data informed decision making, because it's a balance of, you know, some technical skills. You don't obviously have to be a data scientist, but then also many other skills that, that we kind of forget about over time, different soft skills like curiosity and creativity. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I like your point about, uh, about change. I, I kind of liked the, the, uh, the saying, uh, it used to be that change is constant, but now change is accelerating. And it's almost like the, 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 the pace of acceleration is accelerating because it is just, everything is just coming at us like you wouldn't believe. And, and uh, you know, in marketing, you've got the multiverse and I'm sure in just technology and analytics, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just enormous how fast that uh, things are changing. It's crazy. And I mean, again, going back to data, technical and, and learning, one of the things that relates to both of those with the change, a lot of times when we make decisions or a lot of times when we're looking at what's our next business plan or looking at something similar, whether we're using you know, predictive analytics or whether we're using our brain, it always goes back to let's look at all of our history, whether it's what's stored in our long-term memory or let's look at historical events to come up with a probability or a prediction to make a decision about what to do in the future. And it, 
the problem is we don't know what's going to happen in the future. I mean, your book, right? COVID, no one knew, uh, people mm. knew a pandemic was coming, but they didn't plan for it. Everything materially changes because you don't have that experience to do the modeling or do the intuition on. And so it, it creates all this uncertainty, which again, could be opportunity if you leverage it right, but it could also be disastrous if you don't. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, one thing too, I think, uh, that we get wrong when I think about going back. I studied engineering and and I really I use a lot of math and analytics, of course, but I don't really use any of my my engineering skills. So it's almost like when you go to college, it's really how to learn. You're learning how to learn, and right. uh, so you can uh, be able to learn new things because when you get out into the real world, it's very infrequent that you actually use a lot of what you were taught in college uh, specifically for your for your job so uh, so learning is is a critical component of a, of a corporation and certainly of uh, in individuals and it's kind of like a uh, you know a topic for everybody to be continually learning so uh, organizations have uh, what's called now the role of a chief learning officer tell us uh, what you what you understand under that yeah well like you said the, the world's evolving there's more uncertainty um, you know, I'll date myself. When I was in college, cloud was a meteorology class. Now it's an IT course. Is, is, so we need to keep our employees up to date. The skills that they're going to use, the, the technical skills that they're going to use to do their job, many times, the majority of times, they're not learning them in the university. So they have to learn them outside. Um, some individuals will go back and do that on their own. But it, it's important for organizations to, to keep top talent to to provide those skills to them and apply it in a job setting. So you're not just teaching them the theory, but the benefit of doing it in an actual real life setting is you have real life examples. Um, but it's not just technical skills. Like we said, the technology is evolving. I, when I think about going back to school, I, I when I'm younger, like, and I have four kids, they're young, they always ask why. They're always curious. They're always challenging. And we encourage that. That's how they learn about the world. And I, I kind of feel like as you go through the, the typical schooling and universities, you kind of lose those skills. You don't learn as much about um, critical thinking or collaborative thinking or being curious. You, you know, if when you're in kindergarten and you talk back to your parent or your teacher and ask why, usually they go along and they answer. When you do that in high school or college, you're not supposed to talk back. You're not supposed to question the teacher. They, they kind of take those soft skills out of us those are needed today because the world's changing. So we need those different perspectives. We need to critically challenge the data because there's so much data out there. People always say, you know, you can make the data say whatever you want. The, the data never lies. It's, it's fact. It's how you interpret it. And we don't get a lot of practice with those interpretation skills. And so that's a key role for me is, yes, we have to teach the, the latest technologies and things going forward. But we also have to teach people how to be resilient, how to do active listening, how to challenge assumptions, how to, you know, use lateral thinking, how to increase their emotional intelligence, um, if not equally or potentially even more so than the technical skills. Because like yeah. you said, we learn how to learn in college. We don't learn how to do the soft skills in college. That is uh, very true. And I, on one of my previous interviews, um, uh, and it, it, it plays as well with uh, uh, male, even male versus female, just the, the kind of the personality of male versus female and how they approach different questions and how they 
are more or less more likely to challenge or less likely to challenge and more likely to ask, well, what do we need this for or, or not? And, uh, and I, I think that's a, that's a really good point that you made. Now, does uh, learning, uh, is that more closely related to HR or more closely related to the technical uh, side of the business? Um, so at Click where I work, it's both. Uh, traditionally, learning was related to HR as you were, were learning the compliance, you were doing learning and development, uh, some of the soft skills, but maybe skills like project management or things that were mandatory to take for compliance regions. Um, we kind of blend it. So we teach, obviously, our product. We teach some of the technologies that's related to it. We help educate the internal learning and development, these soft skills as well. So we'll have you know monthly seminars on various soft skill topics. But I'm not saying that's how everyone does it. I think it's a, it's an evolving role. The role's been around for a while, and I I think you're starting to see a pivot from just focused on HR internal to this broader umbrella due to the fact that everyone needs to keep upskilling and relearning and, and unlearning. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think you're right. The uh, maybe the soft skills are more on one side, or or maybe shaded to the one side, whereas the harder skills of, of uh, you know, a specific type of analytics or a specific type or or way to use a software product or whatever, uh, you know, that that then really applies to the, the specific functions of your job as opposed to the how you can progress maybe and and work better in the in within the organization. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So um, now one of the things, uh, especially as, as you talk about analytics, uh, which is uh, just, it's just exploding. And the need for analysts is exploding. But to your point uh, about asking the questions and digging deep into the data and really understanding how to ask those questions is a big deal. So uh, uh, tell us about, about that. And then also, as I understand it, you're also working with what's called the data literacy project. So maybe tell us a little bit about both of those. Yeah, it, it's an effort to increase everyone's ability to work with data. And, and the, the key thing is that everyone's different. So let's, let's take COVID as a perfect example. Everyone in the beginning of the pandemic was inundated with data and information. I, I guess taking a step back, when, when I say data, don't just think numbers. It's also qualitative. It's also information. It's statements. So we couldn't go five minutes on news without a chart or data or infographic about COVID. There, there's an element of data literacy, which is for the, the creators of that information. How do you create it? in the most logical, rational way to, to get across an insight that is an actual insight. And, and so you might've seen in the beginning of COVID charts that showed flatten the curve cumulative cases, which was scary. Like if the intent was let's scare people, which it might've been that that's great, but it also didn't, some of the graphs didn't take into account think subtleties that someone who's a proper data analyst would know. Like it, it doesn't make sense to show cases on a daily basis because they ebb and flow and you might have issues where it's a weekend, people don't go and take tests. So they started doing rolling averages, seven day averages. They started saying, well, wow, it looks a lot worse over here, but wait, they only that, that town only has like 200 people. So it's not really a true sample size. So you started seeing the graphs evolving. That's one element of data literacy, but the most important element is there's probably a handful of people in an organization that, that build those charts and graphs, everyone in the organizations and with COVID, everyone in the world 
sees them and they have to interpret them. And eventually they have to make decisions. So let's say it was the middle of 2020 and you're, you had planned a family vacation. You're going to be going through some thought process. Okay, do I go on vacation? If I do, what are my questions? Well, what's my risk or probability of, of getting or someone in the family getting sick? And then realistically, what's the probability of someone in the family getting seriously sick or, or even dying? You then have to take those graphs and understand them, understand the insights, and then weigh the probabilities. So, and that's the same in an organization is it's not COVID, it's sales data, it's marketing data, it's lead generation data. You're exposed to all this information. You have to make a question. And I think one of the key things that I like to educate people is the data is the data. It's how you interpret it. And some of that is personalized. You might be more risky. So you might say, you know, my family, we're all healthy. We don't have any comorbidities. We're going we're to take a chance. We're going to go. Whereas someone else might have some elderly family members, they might have some more, their decision is different. It's the same data. That's the same thing in organizations is there's no, it's not black and white. And that's kind of why I love it. It, it is, it's somewhere in between and everyone can have a different answer to the same question. And I would never say this person's right, this person's wrong. It's all about what their outcome is, what their ability to handle the probability and the risk is and their thought process. Um, so that's why it really fascinates me. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and you know, there's, there's about three or four questions that I, <laughs> that came up while you were talking, but one was a statement. I used to, uh, uh, be friends with a guy that was, it was one of the, uh, I think it was VP of analytics or VP of research at Xerox. And he was the global VP. And one of the challenges that they had early on when he, when he first started and then he fixed it was that everybody was using their own data around the world. And so everybody was making their numbers because they had their own data. And their own data was then uh, based on different ways that it was collected or researched or however they got to it. And everybody was making their numbers, but the company was losing money. And so, I mean, there's two things there, but one of them was one of the big challenges he had to do, uh, undertake was to homogenize the way the data was defined across the whole organization. And, um, and that, that, was, that was critical. And then once he got that done, then it really made sense as, you know, when somebody would say, well, what's your data based on? It had to be based on this one data set. And if they used anything else, then they would, you know, they'd get dinged or whatever from that. Absolutely. It's a, it's a common challenge we see in organizations. And it, some of the time it, it, it happens because we tend to, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do this, but we tend to, I'm going to say, start backwards. We start with, let's build our data model. Let's build our data warehouse. Let's organize it. And then after that, let's go and, and publicize it. And let's take requests for questions that we can answer with it. I like to start with the decision and the question first. What are we trying to do? Because then you can work backwards. It, it's okay if you have a data warehouse, but in that situation, when you're working backwards, you're going to be like, okay, what is our definition of, of sales target pipeline, whatever it is. And it just, it allows you to focus in only on that data, um, ignore anything else that kind of isn't relevant. And it, it tends to save time because things that are irrelevant, you're not using. I saw some study a couple of weeks ago that said organizations that tend to put their data in a data warehouse maybe about third, it was either between 30 or 35% of that data ever gets touched again. Mm. So that's 65% of the time invested 
on putting data that you might need, you don't actually ever need, or maybe you need it, you just can't use it for whatever reason. It's it's wasted time. Yeah, and uh, although, uh, and I agree with you about understanding what the business question is first, and then working back, and um, uh, and quite often uh, on data like that, what we've seen in the in the marketing space. And when you're trying to build a marketing machine is you kind of have a feel that, well, this question would be interesting, but we do need a certain amount of data before we can actually use it. Now, the never get touched, that's a different issue, but at least, you know, you may need to wait for a year, maybe two years before you feel you have not only enough time series data, but you also have the data being accurate because quite often, especially if it's manually entered, you know, you could have errors in how they're entering it and it takes some time for them to learn how to enter it properly. And then all of a sudden now you have something that you can use and, and be confident that your data is accurate. So, but uh, absolutely just on that, I, I totally agree. I, I want to clarify, you always store the data. I was thinking more about like building a special warehouse or lake that might have some transformations built into it, but the mm -hmm. raw data, absolutely. Because if you ask a question and then you look down the pipe and then the data is empty, you know, yeah. Yep. Yep. And plus, you know, you brought up uh, when you were talking, I was thinking that, you know, you think about the long tail. I mean, clearly the the that the top of that 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 chart is, uh, you know, really the important stuff. And then, you know, maybe, you know, a year or two down the line when you're starting to granularize and improve your the way you're asking the questions or detail out the way you're asking the questions, then you need the next thing. And then you kind of have this long tail out there, which is maybe might be useful in the future. And then it's, it really just depends on at some point what the priorities are or what have you and uh, where it might actually become useful. Absolutely. Well, and that's a good point today's again, going back to COVID, everything changed. So the, the data that organizations used about their customers, I'm willing to bet a majority of it, not a majority, but some of it was different in a COVID world. Yeah. And so if they didn't have that long tail to draw back on, they'd be starting from scratch. The companies that already had it, even if they weren't using it there. So, so I agree with having the data set because especially today, things change so fast. The companies that pivot quick will be the ones that, you know, exceed, yeah. succeed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 that uh, uh, that fast failing or fail fast is, is critical. I think, you know, one of the other things on data that we've run into is uh, a lot of times people will start to collect data and they'll use it for a couple of years and then the world will have changed and then they're afraid to turn the data collection off. And it might be cost, costing them money, but they're, you know, they're afraid to actually turn it off because, well, I don't know, maybe we do need to use that at some point in the future. And I'm sure you've run into situations like that as well. We have, and, and uh, it's not always the case, but many times it comes down to this, I'm, I'm generalizing here that, that we as humans, we have biases. And, and there are different types of bias. And one of the, the more common ones is business would be risk aversion or, or fear of you know, change. Uh, there's also a bias, which is the complete opposite, which is what you change even when you don't want to. But for, I've seen that hundreds of times where people will see the writing on the wall, so to speak, about the new evolution of the business model, and they just don't change the fear, but they, they kind of deep down inside know they have to change. They have to evolve. They have to not use that data that way anymore, but they still tend to hold on to it. And that's one of the beauties of, of a decision-making framework and working with different people is you get those different perspectives 
where people, if you're comfortable challenging, which goes back to, we don't learn how to challenge in school, um, you're going to lead to better results if you're in a team where you're comfortable challenging with the people above you. Yeah. And I think that, and that is definitely a, a skill, but also a, uh, you know, inhibitions to be able to say to the boss, uh, you know, Hey, listen, hold on a second. I'm not, I'm, I'm not exactly sure whether, uh, whether we're doing it right or interpreting it right, or the data is correct. And that I will admit in some organizations, just by the personality of the organization, that can be, that can be very difficult. It's one of the biggest roadblocks we see is this culture change. It is it, it has happened in certain organizations, but in many of them, it it's hard to stop behaviors and do something different. And if you've been brought up in a in a culture where it's a very hierarchical organization from a culture, and you're not supposed to talk back, and that's how you were grown up, it, it's nearly impossible to just all of a sudden switch and change. Um, even just, I mean, I was my son's baseball team. Someone asked the coach like why are we doing batting practice today? And instead of like answering the questions, so they get the perspective, they're just like, cause I told you so. I see that cause I told you so in business to the point that people stop asking. And the reason they're asking, not every time, cause there are times people ask cause they're trying to be troublemakers, but there are times they're asking cause they want to know why, because it helps them learn. So then the next time they won't do it. And the next time maybe they even go early and start batting practice or whatever they're doing in business because they understand why, but you're right. Is sometimes people don't have the comfort level to do that. And they usually don't have it because in the past they've been, you know, scolded for doing that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me go back a second though. And uh, one of the problems in marketing and uh, marketers quite often got into marketing because they didn't want to worry about the data. Now it turns out the modern marketer that especially is working on the web or in social or anything that's digital, there's a ton of data there. And, uh, but there are still marketers that are afraid of data. They got into marketing or they got into kind of the, that type of a position because they hated math and they hated data. And uh, so in that case, how do you put together now, uh, how, do you, how do you work with them to help them to really learn how to understand the data, question the data, and then start to actually get insights and, and results out of that data? It's a, it's a million dollar question, right? Is the, what I try to start with is, is tell individuals, you do not need to be a data scientist. E even further, you do not need to be a data analyst. Most organizations, most individuals, they need to be able to consume the data to interpret it. So I think of it as, as a puzzle is each piece of the puzzle is data. And as you put it together, you kind of have this insight. And what we need to educate and make people aware of is, is how do you, you're never gonna have all the puzzle pieces. Imagine you have a 10,000 piece puzzle and it's your business answer and 200 pieces are missing. You still have to come together and put the puzzle. So how do you do that? Well, it's those skills we talked about. It's you talk to your peers about what is their perspective. It's you trial and error, it's you, try some of your challenging assumptions, you try things out and learn from them. And so what I try to tell people is there's so much data, the answer to all the world's problems, we have the data somewhere. We just haven't connected the dots and then rallied the change management. And, and that's been proven many times. We, we have those answers. It, it more and more people that are open to saying, okay, I am not a data expert, but I am comfortable challenging the data. I'm comfortable working with the data. And then what I tell them is they're already doing it every day. 
if there, did you go on vacation last year? Yep. Well, how'd you determine? Well, I went on Airbnb and looked at the reviews. That's data. It's not a number, but it's, it's a word, it's information or, okay, when you go to the doctor, what do they do? Well, they read out my vitals, they read out my cholesterol, they read out, that's data. And then they're telling you what to do. Everything you're doing today has data and just reframe it as if someone told you that they were going to give you a 10,000 piece puzzle, when you put it together, you're able to answer all your questions. Why would you be scared of that? You might be scared of it, but you should be excited about learning how to put it together. Yeah. So, um, you know, thinking about that and then maybe some of the barriers that maybe hinder organizations from getting to the next level. Um, you know, one of the things, one of the skills I think for, especially for the person that considers themselves non, non-data is at least learning how to specify and really discuss and what that business question is, is how to really define that business question. Do you see that as well or? I hundred percent. It's, I always say that like when, when you go to school, you learn in, from forms of communication, you learn how to read, you learn how to write. We don't take courses on listening, believe it or not. And we don't mm-hmm. typically, we, we take courses sometimes on speaking, but we don't, we take courses on speaking on how to lecture. We don't take courses on how to question. And those to me are the most important things is you have to learn how to question. So that, that you know, you might have a, a question like, you know, how was my marketing campaign last year? That is not a great answer or question to answer with data because you ask 10 different people, you're gonna get 10 different results compared to what? Compared to last marketing campaign, compared to the one you la- this time last year, across different channels that you're looking at, across different age groups, what are your dimensions, what are your segmentation, what does good look like? All of those things, you, you need to have this, this framework of, of asking those questions. And if someone doesn't know the answer, figuring out how much of the puzzle, maybe you, you do all of that and you get back, you know, three quarters of the puzzle. Can you make a decision with three quarters? Maybe depends on the answer, right? If it's something that's life or death or strategic, probably not. But if it's something more operational, like it was a good campaign, let's run it again next year. Let's approve the budget. It's good enough. And so it's, it really gets back to listening to other people. So you get more puzzle pieces and then questioning everyone about, you know, what that means to them and being very specific. I, I always equate it to everyone in corporate setting is usually familiar with smart objectives. You just apply the same thing to questions. They have to be smart mm-hmm. questions. They have to be specific, measurable, answerable, driven by data, time bound, same thing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, although, uh, you know, and I think in marketing, uh, it is a little more difficult than in other areas of manufacturing or in other areas, it is more difficult. One of that is what we do, though, and that's why it is a challenge for marketers when they ask, "Well, how well did we do?" Is then one of the first things that we do is is get into the data and understand, well, what kind of data do you have, so that we can help you to answer uh, the the you know the question that you want and at the detail level that you want. And uh, one of the big challenges we have in then supporting that question is making sure that the data is is correct. So tell us about what you do to make sure that the data is, uh, is clean, is valid, and, 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 in, and in the end, of course, is useful to make uh, the right kind of business decisions for the organization. Yeah, I mean, obviously, tools and technology help, but a, a lot of it starts with, we've had organizations where 
they they don't think about data quality in in the front so it's it's like building a house you're not going to come to the lot and start putting a house you're going to blueprint okay well i need windows to get sunlight for vitamin d i need a second floor so i need stairs i i need a place to store foods or i need a kitchen same thing with, with this is i need to understand what i need okay i need to understand customers age groups. So whether I'm doing it through a survey, whether I'm doing it through, it's a, it's a membership card where I get it, I'm going to store the, their age. I'm going to store it as a, as a drop down in the survey. I mean, it could be as simple as we don't allow free form text because people could spell out a state. And obviously there's technology that fixes this, but it's about designing what you want, what the outcome, visualizing the outcome and then working backwards. And then sometimes it's using tools, especially if you're trying to analyze customer sentiment, right? That's not necessarily easy to do manually. Did someone post on Twitter and was that a negative for the company? Was that a positive? You know, that's where you definitely have to leverage the technology, but it all starts with what is that blueprint? So I, I like to have organizations visualize the ideal outcome and then working back, but don't think about data quality at the end, think about it in the beginning is, is what do you need that data outcomes to be um and yeah. that'll help you lead to the question but then but then it matches with the question so you'd meant you know one of the examples I'll, I'll mention working with one organization they asked this question you know what was how was my marketing campaign and the the fascinating thing about it was the question wasn't specific enough because what had actually happened is the total net sales were, were actually lower than what they were expecting. And so everyone was like, okay, wasn't it? Turns out when you questioned and you challenged and you understood everything, they actually sold more volume. They had more leads, more lead conversion. What had happened is due to the program, they had put in a discounting policy. Hmm. And so the discounts went up 12%. So if the question was, was the campaign successful? I would argue it was the challenge was the discounting brought it back. But if you didn't think to pause and think about the other parts of the data that are relevant and you didn't have that in your data model, you would have not done the campaign again, even though it was wildly successful. So what they did was, was the discounting over the top? Was it useful? It's dialogue. And then maybe they lower it as much, um, knowing that if you lower it, maybe not as many people are going to convert those. That's that kind of give and take, but at least it became a dialogue as opposed to saying, no, we didn't make as much money, so it wasn't successful. Yeah, right, and uh, and and you know, and that's where you also have to include kind of a whole data framework uh, as to how you're going to look at that specific business question, because it it could be that the discounts were right and that the marketing was correct, but we entered into a recession or the interest rates went up, Absolutely. or the housing starts you know slowed down or something like that. And so, you know, you'd really do have to have a complete data framework that fits in with those uh, with those business decisions. And then to your point as well is then, uh, you know, not only uh, understanding what that data is that underlies all that, but then also making sure that it's clean and vetted and complete and, and what have you to really give you, you know, something that's not just garbage in and garbage out. Absolutely. Garbage in, garbage out is the worst to me because it's preventable. Right. It, it, it leads to bad decisions, but it's also very preventable if you do things. You know, yeah. The right way. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, before we close, is there anything else you'd like to uh, bring up or mention that we haven't talked about? 
Um, I, I think the highlight for me is I just, I, I really believe that uh, solving marketing challenges, organization challenges, life challenges, we have everything we need, except sometimes we as individuals don't have the right mindset. We don't have mm. the right soft skills of questioning. We don't have, you know, in science, they use the scientific method. Let me have a guess and then do everything in my power to disprove it. And if I can't disprove it, whereas what we typically do, and it's not our fault, it's bias, it's not intentional, is we go into a meeting with our answer. Like, well, we, we need to do this. And then anytime we see anything that validates that, we're like, that's the answer, we're done. We stop looking, confirmation bias. And when someone else is talking and they're not agreeing with us, we're not listening. We're thinking yeah. in our head, how are we gonna reply to them and shut them down? And we're not actually actively listening. So to me, the biggest takeaway is you, yourself, families, kids, learn those soft skills. They are more critical than ever before. Yeah, it's almost like the uh, the universities have to add another year on to understand what those soft skills are. Although exactly. what I've seen, I've done a lot of uh, teaching uh, over the last couple of years at, uh, at different universities here in, in Georgia, and then also in North Carolina. And um, one of the things that I've found is that a lot of the universities now are doing these project-based learning where you have three or four or six maybe people in a, in a team. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the ways that they're actually starting to learn how to uh, learn those soft skills so that they can understand what you know somebody else's biases are, what theirs are, how to manage the team, how to really define the business question, and then how to find the data that will then end up supporting the the ability to analyze and and deliver results based on what that business question was. Absolutely, because you you go through school and you do individual projects, you go to work, you never you never alone. Um, yeah. So they definitely, and I feel like they have the outcome there. What's missing sometimes is the fundamental knowledge of those soft skills. So, for example, you're doing a group project that doesn't automatically make you an active listener. You need to understand that, by the way, we're flawed. We don't listen. We have a bias. We tend to zone people out. But here are strategies that you can do. One of the most important lessons I learned is when I'm, because I have ADHD, I tend to be all over the place, is someone said, when, when someone's talking, don't think about the next question, don't think anything, but then recite back what they said in your own words. It, it makes them realize that you're listening, but it actually helps you and your brain process it. And it was then like a lifesaver for me because it, it wasn't just being polite. It was learning how to actively listen. It wasn't in a course. It wasn't in a university. It was, I don't even know where I heard that, but those are the things that we have to complement with, with the projects. But I agree, the projects go a great way because it's a great way to collaborate. Mm. And, 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 and it is definitely a way to reinforce and, and hopefully build on those, uh, those soft skills. Uh, yes. Well, anyway, Kevin, thank you uh, so much. This has barely been, uh, been great and uh, really appreciate it. Now your book, uh, give us the title of the book and then also where we can find it and how we can, you know, learn more about, uh, about your book. Yeah. And thank you for that. It's turning data into wisdom. It's not for data scientists, not for data. It's for anyone who wants to, not be overwhelmed with information and learn how to make better decisions. You can do it at an organization level, or you can do it for home, personal. What am I going to make for dinner? What, where should we go on vacation? What type of car should I buy? So you can find on Amazon, 
most major online bookstores that I've seen um, either just type in my last name or type in turning data into wisdom. Fantastic. So uh, turning data into wisdom and uh, Kevin Hannigan, uh, thank you so much. And uh, for the listeners, please stay tuned for many other videos in this series of the backstory on marketing. Please visit marketingmachine.prorelevant.com and download the first chapter of my book, which is now out. And uh, also uh, it's available on Amazon as well. So post-COVID marketing machine. And then lastly, don't forget to sign up for more episodes on this podcast series. And if you like it, please rate it with five stars. Thank you so much. And Kevin, thank you. Yep. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.